Welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and I have Mr. James Knight out of North Carolina joining me today. He is the principal of Rocky Mount Prep High School and Middle School. Now tell me, Mr. Knight, how, how are you balancing being the principal of both a middle school and a high school at the same time? Um, well, first of all, I'd like to say uh, hello and thank you for having me on. It's a privilege to be invited into the conversation that you're having. Um, but to answer your question about balancing, um, the one thing I try to do is, prior to my being uh, afforded this job, they were separate schools. Um, so there was a middle school principal and there was a high school principal. And one thing that I'm doing to try to balance the two is to try to make them more unified. Gotcha. Um, so I created a leadership team that houses middle school and high school staff. So I have my high school guidance counselor along with my um, middle school guidance counselor. Um, we have our, a secondary dean who helps with middle and high school teachers. So because she was already doing the role of helping middle and high school teachers, it would just make sense to put them all on one mm. leadership team so that a lot of the initiatives that we put in place could benefit both. Now, are you guys on the same campus? Yes. Um, so the campus is K-12. Gotcha. Um, so the entire school is K-12, so we have an elementary principal and assistant principal. And then there's me as the secondary principal, and I just recently hired an assistant principal as well. Okay. I like that. I like this. Is this um, how did you work your way up to um, the position that you're at now? I see you've had several stints in, in elementary, middle school. You're a, a church mentor. Um, you work with the schools of arts and education. How'd you get to this point at, at Rocky Mountain Prep? And what is a prep school? Okay, so well, I've been in education for about 12 years, almost 13. Um, I started fresh out of college and I graduated from North Carolina Central, Go Eagles, um, in 2007. And um, my teaching career, my whole teaching career has been in the high school level. So I've taught high school English. Uh, I taught for about seven years, and then I moved into, um, I got the principal fellow scholarship to go into administration. So during my administration is where I got exposed to middle and elementary school. Okay. <laughs> um, so I was an assistant principal for a year at, at Patillo Middle School, and I learned a lot of great things there under um, Lauren Lampron. She's a wonderful principal. It was actually her second year as a principal when I became, it was her first year as a principal, excuse me, when I became her assistant principal for the first time. So we did a lot of learning together, but she's such an astute uh, administrator that there were certain things where you would never know that it was her first year. So she yeah. things. Um, but then this opportunity came out of nowhere to work as the principal of curriculum instruction at uh, Sally B. Howard School for the Arts and Education. And um, I had never been to Sally B. Howard, except for one time to sing with a choir. But it was, I never visited the school. I did not know the executive director or anything. She mm. called me out of nowhere to come and work there. So it just seemed like a perfect opportunity because I, I lived my life in the arts um, as well. And education, arts and education is just my whole life. And so I went there and I spent a great two years there um, helping with the curriculum any instruction. I did a lot of coaching, did a lot of um, uh, 
uh, I put PLC, professional learning communities, in the school to help the teachers have great data conversations and things like that and help to move the achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very proud of the work we were able to do there. They went from being a, a C school to a B school uh, during my tenure there, so I was glad to be a part of that effort. Um, and then when I found out that my son was coming, um, he was born in November 2017. Um, we tried to figure out some ways that I could be, we could be close to him. So I sometimes, so it became very tempting to work at a place in Rocky Mount because I've been working outside of Rocky Mount for so long. So now it's trying to figure out, you know, how do we get him to a place that's in Rocky Mount and then how do we fix it so that one of us can get to him if needed? Hmm. So then the opportunity came up. Um, I met Dr. Shante Garrett, who's the chief academic officer at Rocky Mount Prep. And she, you know, I seen her at various places and she said she was impressed with me and I was impressed with the work and the things that she was doing. And she kept talking about me coming over there. She said, you know, I like to steal employees. And, I, you know, after my son was along, I was like, don't tempt me because I'm already trying to be next to my baby. Um, mm. But the opportunity came up and I ended up coming. The assistant principal at the elementary school left. Yeah. And so the assistant principal in the elementary school. So I applied for that job and I ended up getting there. So I moved there in May of 2017, 2018, excuse me. And I did some great work there, and I took over the beginning teacher support program. And um, through that, I started to, you know, develop a presence at the school. And then Dr. Garrett talked to me about applying for the secondary principal position because they were without a principal for several months in the Mm -hmm. secondary uh, school because the middle school principal and the high school principal had moved on. Um, So she was taking the helm of both of those schools. And so um, at around November or so, I applied for that job. And then in December, I was hired. And our first official start date was January when we came back from Christmas. Okay. okay. So that's how I ended up where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you, that's, that's a lot of roles to, to kind of go through in um, a short amount of time. As, as a, a principal now of both those high schools or both those schools, you've obviously made um, some changes to the leadership um, and how you're running the middle school and the high school at the same time. What are some of the priorities for you for the rest of this year and going forward to continue making that a smooth transition from eighth grade to, um, to high school? Because I, I can see it as an advantage, you know, being able to have the middle school and high school working together. Because I think in a lot of cases, there, there is a disconnect between the middle school principal and the high school principal, but you're kind of able to blend that um, or extend that learning. So it's all, it all makes sense from sixth grade to 12th grade. Yes. Um, so one thing that we don't, one thing that I would like to accomplish. So when I got there, there were a lot of, because they were without an administrator, there were a lot of things that were just, you know, laid by the wayside. Um, and so what I tried to do is shore up some of those things, like policies and procedures that had that were there and, and in place, but were not being enforced because they were not, there was not an administrator. <laughs> and this is for the teachers and for the students. Okay. The teachers were doing that was not acceptable. Um, some things that the students were doing and it wasn't being addressed, and that was not acceptable. Um, yeah. So the learning environment was suffering. And mm. so what I had to do was, okay, so let's, let's protect the learning environment first. 
And so when I came in, I have to admit that, you know, I came in with a with a kind of an iron fist and with for the teachers and for the students. Um, so the suspension started to spike a little bit because there were certain things that kids were doing that they just did not know were unacceptable. Mm. Um, or they knew it was unacceptable, but they had done it for so long, it just became part of the culture. Yeah. So the culture. And so now that we've gotten things stabilized in the past month or so, um, now my, my focus is trying to make sure that the learning environment is such that they'll want to be there and then we won't have some of these management issues. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. So my biggest goal now is trying to make the place somewhere that they want to be and that they take ownership of. Mm. Um, so for one, one initiative I'll tell you that we're doing, um, our seniors, I've made it so that those that have bought their parking passes and they drive to school every day, I've fixed it so that if they, they're current in their parking payments, they can decorate their parking spaces. Hmm. As, and then we'll have that, they'll have, be able to leave that there when they go. Wow. And um, other students will be assigned other parking spaces. And so my goal is to make it a decorative space. Yeah. And the students will say, this is my space. This is where I own. And just they can bring their friends back and say, okay, this is where I was. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, weather will take its course. <clears throat> and then we'll assign those parking spaces to other people. And they'll be able to um, paint those spaces. Mm. Right, right. I like that. It, and that's kind of a way, that's a nice incentive that you can have with your, your high school students. Um, I, I love that. That's pretty, that's pretty creative. Uh, some of the strategies that you used, or, or can you talk about uh, some of those processes? You know, I don't know how much detail you can give me, but some of the processes that weren't being followed, that needed to be followed, how did you, how did you update those and, and get them implemented so that they could be followed with accountability? Cause that's a word I don't know if you said, but but that's really what it what it sounds like. I think most schools we have that, that is the biggest thing: accountability and support. So um, when I came in, I talked to each of the teachers individually for about fifteen minutes and talked to them about what is it you expect from your administrator because they had been without one for a while. And when you talk about months in education time, it sounds like this kind of amounts to decades in the real world. <laughs> Um, so like, it's very, very dangerous for a school to be without a, an administrator for that long. So I had to just make, make it like it was the first day of school over again. Wow. Um, so a lot the main theme in all the conversations was I want feedback and I would like support because they were not getting disciplinary support. Mm -hmm. um, this were being very disrespectful and confrontational and sometimes threatening towards our teachers. Wow. Now that being said, some of our teachers were acting in a way, they were disciplining the students in a way that did not leave them with their dignity intact. So um, I had to talk to them about my expectations and in my expectations, I just told them, I said, you cannot correct another student on this hallway unless you have said good morning or good afternoon to them. <laughs> Ask them something about themselves. Because at the end of the day, these are human beings. Right. And so y'all cannot come to these kids and say, Take off your hoods, take off your headphones, take your hats off. And you haven't even said hello to these people. Right. And so that's one thing I put in place. Like, do not correct another child unless you have greeted them first. Right. Because right. um, that's, that's where the confrontation was coming. It wasn't even about what the children were doing. It was about how they were being corrected and mm. then how they responded to that correction. 
And so I've talked to teachers about that. I've also, we also put a, we had a person come in from Georgia from this place called the Education Group. She was very helpful. Her name was Dr. Shirley Kilgore. I'll give a shout out to her. She's been really, really instrumental in how we change the culture of our school. Um, she has come in and she helped the classes come up with a behavior plans. And so what we've done is we've made those universal and mandatory in all classrooms. So you have to have a behavior plan and it has no more than five rules because I'm a believer that the less rules a kid has, the less they have to break. Hmm. And so it just makes it easier when it's very like it's cut and dry and simple. So they know exactly what their expectations are. Yeah. And so they have five rules and then they have a positive reward system that everybody, every teacher has to give to their students and they can come up with those on their own. Um, and then they have five consequences and four of those things must happen before they can send a child to me with a referral. So, mm -hmm. because I want them to keep the power in their classroom because if I have to keep coming to pick up a child, then I have all the power with that child. Yep. You haven't had them, and then when I bring them back to you after whatever consequences I decide to give them, you still have to figure out a way to coexist with that child. Yeah. And so what I've said is that you cannot refer a child to me if you have not followed those things in the protocol. Now, with that being said, there are certain things that will allow a teacher to go past the protocol, so I call those severe clauses. And so if a child has been overtly disrespectful and overtly defiant or they're fighting or there's family, some type of big, big extreme thing like that, um, then of course you would forego the protocol and they come straight to me and then we handle them appropriately. Um, and so that was good because it kept the teachers a, a pro, uh, accountable because if a child came to me and I knew that a contact had not been made to parents, or that you had not done the other protocols in your room, then they come back to you. Mm -hmm. And that way the child knows that, okay, I have a due process, but there is something expected of me as well. Yeah. Is that for your middle school and high school? Middle school and high school. Actually, it's for K-12. Okay. And that was a great thing, too. One thing that was not happening before I got to the secondary position was that elementary school and the secondary administrators were not working together. Mm. Um, but the elementary principal is also, he's also been a friend of mine for some years. And so when we came in, we knew about to each other that we would not try to do this in a silo. Mm. And so what we have been doing is I've been bouncing things off of him because I'm 12 years in education, but he's 15 plus years in education. He has a doctorate and he has so much, he's a wealth of knowledge that I would be a fool if I did not tap into that. And you know, right. And, well, you have this wealth of knowledge and you're not, you're not drinking from it. And so yeah. I, I, call on him a lot and he calls on me a lot because he has a way of handling things that works in some ways, but not in others. And then I have a way, a way of balancing that out. And so we work together a lot. Mm. And we try to make sure that we put people in place that are going to align with our vision and the way we want to do things and what's best for kids. Right, right, right. So can you talk to me, James, about what, what that process was like to go from not really having that accountability structure to each teacher having their own rewards and, and consequence system. I'm, I'm a firm believer, just like yourself, when, when a student leaves class, everybody loses. 
the teacher's mm -hmm. not teaching, the student's not learning, and the principal exactly. becomes a babysitter. So we have to keep those students in class. Can you talk mm -hmm. about the process to get your teachers to understand the felt need for those consistent rewards, behaviors, and expectation? And then what, what are some of the examples of those five rules and uh, consequences that are being used in the classroom? Okay, so um, the first thing we did was we just had a big conversation. So Dr. Kilgore came through and she did a complete walkthrough of all our classes. Mm -hmm. um, and she talked about the things that the teachers were doing that was, that was contributing to their classroom management issues. Mm -hmm. um, and she, one of them was just, we had some teachers that were doing poor planning and were not doing the instructional to the, to the fullest. Um, and there were some that were giving off the appearance of great instruction, but it was a facade. And so we talked, we had a very, very clear conversation with the teachers that this is not acceptable. And with me being the director of the beginning teacher program, I was able to put my hands on a lot of teachers K-12. Gotcha. We can instill a lot of values from the beginning about classroom management and making sure expectations are clear. Right. And we all, I had a, a very, very candid conversation with my teachers about the fact that sometimes you can't get the students to do what you want them to do because they see how you act towards each other. Mm -hmm. so the thing we had to do was we had to talk to them about their interactions with each other. because it was very, We had a big professionalism issue. And because of that, so I'm talking to you in this rude sort of manner. But then I expect my students to, to revere me and to see me as the adult. But yeah. this child has just also seen me be sarcastic and shady with my other my coworkers. So what's my incentive to do give you the same treatment? You know? um, and so we talked to the teachers. Both, basically, we had the teachers. We all had to do a work on ourselves first. Yeah we could correct the teachers. So we, the teachers came back over the Christmas holiday and we had that conversation, talked about all those things and they knew that this conversation was happening. And I think that's one thing that helped teachers buy into it. We didn't blind sign them. Mm. We eased into this. We, um, and then we had somebody that come from the outside because we had had these conversations with them before. But you know how it is. If yeah. somebody comes from the outside and say it means me. So the fact that this person came from the outside and said the same thing that had been according, because I've only been there for less than a year, but apparently these conversations had been had before. Mm -hmm. um, so it meant a lot that this person came and undergirded what we had already been saying. So yeah. after that, the teachers were more receptive to, to the plan. And so one thing we do, I'll give you an example of some of the rules. So K-12, Everybody's rule is you have to be respectful and you have to follow directions. And so that's K-12. So no matter if a child's transitioning from elementary school to middle school, that's not a new thing for him. Yeah. Because he knows that well, he must do two things. He must be respectful and he must follow directions. So then we have a conversation about what being respectful looks like, what follow directions look like. So we have these things in the cafeteria, we have them in the hallway. This is how you need to walk in the hallway. This is what you, how you need to enter the classroom. This is how you need to enter the building. Mm. These things, so we talk to them about what does it look like to be respectful to your peers, to your teacher, to yourself. Have all those conversations and talk to them about it. Follow directions. What does it mean 
when it comes to your classroom, the building, yourself, your peers. Mm -hmm. So, and the thing is, because we had to, just like we had to train the teachers, we had to retrain the students. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty much like a big rebranding for us regarding the students. And I even sent out calls and letters to parents say, hey, we have a new behavior plan is going out. And so teachers all had to send out letters and say, these are my new rules, and this is what you have to do. And so parents signed those and sent them back. And so now when I call a parent, if I, and then, because the last resort now is suspension, mm -hmm. last resort. So now if I call a parent and say, hey, so we've gone through this protocol, this and this and this have happened, these interventions have been taking place, and now we're at the point where your child has to go home for a couple of days. There's a little pushback, but at the same time, they don't have really much of a leg to stand on because we have really, really gone through the process of communicating, yeah. making sure that everything was clear, and the students are clear about what's expected of them, what they get if they follow these expectations, and what they get if they don't. And I think every kid can play the game if they know the rules. Yeah. And that was the thing that was changing from place to place. And when I talked to the kids, when I first got into my post, they, their number one thing was, it was like, I just feel like, you know, teachers put up with stuff and they say these things and we can play with them for a little while. And then one day they come in and they're in a bad mood and then they're writing us up. Mm. And they were absolutely right. <laughs> they were right. And when I, you know, I've even called a few teachers on it individually and they had to come to terms with the fact that they were doing just what the, teacher, the students said that they were doing. Yeah. And so a lot of self-reflection went into the revamping of the culture. I, and and that makes that makes a whole lot of sense too. You first of all, I think the person comes first. So I love the way that you guys started and and not blindsiding the teachers, but keeping them included on that process and and really just helping them to understand um, what it's going to take for for them as individuals. You know, in communication from that communication standpoint to help and keep those students in the classroom. Have you seen a reduction? I know you said there was a spike when you first got to the school. Have you seen a or um, a consistency throughout your behavior since that time? Uh, yes, actually, because there, there's been some major there was some major issues when I first got there. You know, I had I had senior students jump in my face, you know, as if they were going, you know, call me bodily harm. Um, they've jumped in teachers' faces, cursed cursed people out. So they had I had to send a very strong message about this. Mm -hmm. This was tolerated. You have to go home. Um, but since then, some of those people and, uh, you know, at first I was surprised by this, but then I was like, no, I'm not surprised because they saw, they've seen me be nothing else but consistent. Right. Um, so for instance, the student that jumped in my face the first week that I was there and got five days home, well, now he's my biggest ally. Hmm. Cause in the event that I need to break up a fight, you know, we're in a high school, so fights are, you know. They have. They, um, you know, I've had to break up fights and I'm not, you know, you, you can't tell from my picture, but I'm not a tall person. <laughs> I have to approach these, these high schools with a plan. <laughs> yeah. um, but when I go, go to these high schoolers, especially these big guys who are really, really angry at the time, I, my first thing is to talk to them now because I know that I don't have the physical, st physical stature when it compared to that particular student to really, really physically make them do anything. So right. I have to talk to them. 
but one of the students that I have really had confrontations with the first part of the, my being there, he's now been the one that comes out into the hallway and says, hey, man, you got to calm down. This is Mr. Knight you're talking to. Calm down. You know, he actually physically helped the student, helped me get a student off of another student one day. Wow. So he's actually been one of my biggest helps. And he comes to me about situations. And he comes to me about issues. And even after that particular issue between me and him, he came back from his suspension. He said, okay, so this is what happened. I felt this way, and I should not have reacted that way, and I apologize to you. Mm. So because he had seen me do nothing else but be consistent, when I go to I say good morning to everybody, I don't yell, I don't um, scream at these kids. Even the ones that I'm disciplining, they've never heard me yell at them. Mm. And that's it. You know, you know, I don't yell at my house. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't even, I've even talked to the teachers. I was like, at no point am I to go by your classroom and hear you yelling at these kids. Yeah. So then that goes for my disciplinary support people. And he's supposed to be the tough guy in the hallway. But I said, I don't want you yelling down this hallway at these kids. Yeah. So calm. Yeah. That, that's important. That's important. I mean, the communication is not always about what you say. It's about how you say it. And going, exactly. Yes, sir. And going back to even how you're consecrating things, when you have that, that set um, expectation on, on what the consequence for behavior is, then you get evidence. So by the time a teacher sends the student out of the, their class into your office, you've got a trail of documentation that's going to be hard for a parent to argue with. So it's oh, just, yeah. your job is to make the decision not to explain what the problem is because that that has already been documented and the other thing is i have to track where these referrals are coming from because what happens is what you'll find out and i'm pretty i'm sure you've seen this um with middle school support that you do sometimes the referrals come from one teacher oh yeah so oh, yeah. then i have to figure out okay are these referrals coming from all these kids teachers or is it coming from this one teacher so if i find out that it's coming from a team of teachers then i realize that this this child has a problem with authority right and with performance in the classroom period but if i see that you're only getting written up by your social studies teacher then that's a breakdown in relationship mm -hmm. So then it falls on me to repair it, try to figure out that relationship. So that means I have to have a conversation with the child and say, okay, what is it about this child, this teacher that you just cannot get along with this person? Like, y'all just can't sit horses, as my grandmother used to say. Yeah. Um, and so when they talk to me, then I go and talk to the teachers like, hey, this is how this child feels about the way you treat them. Let's talk about how true the truth and validity of that. And Let's also talk about even if it's not true that it's happening, it's true that this child feels this way. And we have to make sure that this child does not feel this way anymore. Yeah. So at, at that point, it doesn't come about blame. Because a lot of teachers will take that personally and say, I never mistreated a child. And da, 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 da. But the thing is not about what you did. It's about whether or not the child feels that there is an unfairness that's happening. Yeah. One thing children will buck up against is inconsistency and unfairness. Yep. They want, if I get in trouble for this, everybody needs to get in trouble for it. <laughs> Don't talk to me about it if you're not going to talk to someone so and so about it. And, and they'll let you know. They will let you know. And they don't have and they haven't been trained like adults about how to approach situations. So yeah. how how they get it is how you're gonna get it. <laughs> right. 
So is your is your prep school is Rock Mount uh, a private school, a charter school, a public school? Well, it is a free public school, and I think that's one of the misconceptions about when you hear charter school, you hear private, and that's and honestly, as a person that taught in public school for years, that's what I thought. Um, yeah. But when I started working at Salaby Howard, which is also a free charter school, so the difference is that there has to, there's an enrollment process. Hmm. Whereas in the district school, you go wherever your your address dictates where you go. Yeah. In the charter school, the school is it becomes a school of choice, but yeah. it's not just a school of choice for the people in that district. It's a school of choice for anybody that wants to come. So, for instance, when I was at Salaby Howard, it's in Wilson, North Carolina, but we served several counties at yeah. that one school. So there was a K eight school with about a thousand students. They came from Pitt County, Wilson County, Nash County. Some came all the way from Wake County. Mm. About 45 minutes, an hour drive to Wilson. But when the parents felt, they felt bigger, they felt good enough about it to invest that time into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, a lot of charter schools have these specialties that make them attractive to other students. So, for instance, Salaby Howe was an art school. So, we had dance. Um, and all kinds of dance, jazz, tap, ballet, all types of things. We had chorus, but it wasn't just chorus. It was you're doing vocal pedagogy. You're doing, um, you're learning how to sing on a stage. You're learning how to sing in recordings and things like that. Then we had drama, which you learn how to do basic drama, but you also had to learn how to do set production and different things like that. And some of kids, some of the kids that went to that school left the eighth grade and then got accepted into these art schools. Yeah. So now at Rocky Mount Prep, we are specialized as a college prep school. Gotcha. So we do a lot of things that are geared towards getting every child to have the choice of going to college. So we're very realistic in that every child is not going to go. But we do not want the child to, if the child does not go to college, we don't want it to be because they didn't have a choice. Yeah. We want it to be because they decided that I'd rather go into the workforce. And then I want, I want to be a viable part of the workforce. Mm -hmm. so we have a lot of initiatives that help students be a part of the workforce or take those skills and make them attractive to universities and tech schools that they want to go to. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably, and I think school choice matters. I, I work with some charter schools myself, and there is that misconception, but you also have so much kind of freedom and flexibility when you're at a that's, charter school. And I think that is one of the benefits. The only thing, the, the downfall is that we don't have the support mm -hmm. that the district will get from a central office. So like, because we are our own district, anything that we need, we have to create it. Yeah. Um, and although the state does give us dollars and things like that, they don't give us the same thing. They don't give it to us in the same way that they would a district school. For instance, if we need a professional development, either we have to contract somebody out or we have to see, because um, we're in Nash County. Yeah. And so I, for an example, um, we had Math Foundations as a um, course that we do for the, for the students to teach them how to, teachers, excuse me, to teach them how to teach math conceptually instead of procedurally, right? Hmm. So Nash County was having their professional development in Math Foundations. So we asked to come up and be a part of that. Well, they did let us come be a part of it, which means that we can come and be in a facility. We can come and learn from their instructor. 
but we had to buy all our own materials because there's a very extensive notebook that comes along with that professional mm-hmm. development. We had to order that ourselves. Gotcha. So whereas we may have the same opportunity, we don't have the same resources. We have to make sure that we do get those resources. Yeah, yeah, that's real. That's yeah. real. I, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that comment and that clarity too on on charter school and just you know in some in some worlds you know depending on the angle that you're looking at charter it looks like it could be something evil but in a lot of cases it does a lot of good in, in providing students access to the opportunities that they need. Is there any final words? Yeah, I will say that I have gone to and I will say I've gone to some charter schools where it looks like I don't know who how how access is being given to everybody. And you know, I think that's the thing, the scrutiny that charter schools run into because some of them, the way their systems are, it does not provide access for the, the poverty stricken family. For instance, we provide public transportation. We have a bus fleet. Some students, some teachers do not, some charter schools do not provide public transportation. They do not provide cafeteria services. We have a cafeteria service and 85% of our students could be on free or reduced lunch. So we do have a we do have certain dollars that go into that. Our Title I school, which helps us provide for students for students of poverty. Yes, indeed. And and that's that's important. That's valuable to have to be able to be equitable uh, across all, all parts. I know in some cases the, the charters aren't provided with the transportation or facilities funds. Is, is there any final words that you have, James, that you want to leave to any educators that are listening right now? Um, I just, one of my final words I would just like to say is that part of education is not just about tests and grades, um, especially not state mandated tests because I will say that there are a lot of my students that may not have done well on state mandated tests, but those tests are not a reflection of what I see in that mm-hmm. child every day. We have some very bright students that may not test well. But I would say that part of education, the most important thing about education is to make sure that we are taking care of the whole child. Oh, yeah. Making sure that through our education of our students, that they are being granted opportunity, that they are being granted access. Amen. The first thing that's what education is about, granting students, even the most impoverished students, opportunity and access and exposure to what can become. Amen. Amen. We can put that one on repeat. Um, That's something that everybody needs to hear. Every student can learn and every student deserves to learn. So, James, how can we get in contact with you and and learn more about Rocky Mount? Uh, Yes. Well, um, first of all, the Rocky Rocky Mount Preparatory website is a great way to get in touch with me. Um, It's rnprep.org. Also, I have my my email, um, jknight at rnprep.org. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Right on, right on. Thank you so much for sharing all this wealth of information that you have as a new principal. I appreciate the work that you've done to change the culture at Rocky Mountain Prep and and really unifying your middle school and high school together and getting that behavior situated because when a student leaves class, everybody loses. I, I thank you so much for your work, James. And thank you for the exposure that you're giving to um, school communities. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And for all of our educators that are listening, you know how to find the podcast episode. We're on iTunes, we're on TuneIn, 
SoundCloud, and you can visit TreyGamers.com for more episodes like this. If you know another educator, a principal, a district-level administrator that needs to hear this episode, take the time to share it with them. It's really simple, it's really easy, and of course, I wanna hear from you. So leave a comment on this episode and make sure that you come back next time for a new episode of the Dash Podcast.